So we were going through the measures of the Holy Spirit, and um, last week we talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, looking at the differences between those, and we started into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to have to try to remember where exactly we got. We didn't get that far into it, but I believe we had gone over... Uh, so we're just kind of comparing some of the different categories. Yes, I think so. So we'll probably get to we'll um, So we said that um, so just to kind of uh, we're looking at some of the different categories and, and trying to see if, if something is different. Right? Some things are similar. Some things are very similar. Uh, for example, um, in the New Testament, we have a, a baptism uh, in Acts chapter 19 that wasn't valid. Right? And so they were required to be baptized again. Why were they required to be baptized again? You remember that story? Theirs was a baptism of John. Okay. Okay, so it was water baptism. They're similar. What was the baptism of John called? It was a baptism of repentance. Now, when we're baptized, do we repent? Okay, so, so there's a lot of similarities. It would be easy for us to, to draw a conclusion that they're the same thing since some of the elements are the same. However, they're not the same thing unless, unless all of the elements are the same. Uh, so there's a lot of crossover. And so already, um, so I want to back up. I'm not, again, I can't remember uh, where we got to this. I know we talked about this being a specific promise. Um, Joel mentioned a prophecy, and we've, we've talked a little bit about um, in Acts 1, 4, and 5, it was, it was given to a specific group of people. In other words, not everyone on the day of Pentecost had it. Uh, if you were standing in the audience, you didn't. Uh, if you were, it was something that fell on uh, those who were, um, who were gathered together in the upper room. Uh, we're going to come back to that one a little bit later, too. Um, so... Uh, one of look at and contrast two scriptures here. Um, it, so we'll probably want to be holding our place kind of in one or both of Acts chapter 2 verse 1 through 4 and Acts chapter 10 verse 44 through 48. Now Acts chapter 11 we already referred to. That's where Peter retells the story, okay? Acts chapter 10 is where it actually happens. Uh, so, so we're going to get more of our material from Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 2. So why don't we look at uh, and, and read both of those passages? At, um, let's see. Uh, Barry, do you want to read Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4? When the day of Pentecost came, 
Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay. And then, um, David, do you want to read Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 48? Yep. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay a few days. Okay, so in both of these instances, now we saw with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, the various miracles that were done, that those came through the apostles' hands. Those came indirectly, in other words, from God. They were from their gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they came through an intermediary. How does this come? How does it come? Okay, so, so we're going to get into the manifestation of it in a second. Okay, it fell upon. Yep, these are all things. It's, it's not at baptism. Okay, you got, you're, you're just running right through my notes here. So um, it's direct, first of all, right? It is, and this is, so in this category, this is going to get interesting now. As we look down through the first two categories, there aren't anything that bear any resemblance to each other. The gifts of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, every category that we look at, they're different things. So that's easy to separate those two concepts, right? Those two, what we call measures of the Holy Spirit. Um, but now we're, we're going to see that some of these kind of look similar to either one or the other. Baptism of the Spirit, much like uh, the indwelling of the Spirit comes directly. There's, there's no person that gives you. When you're baptized, the, the person doing the baptism doesn't give you the Holy Spirit. And it comes directly from God. Uh, and so, is, uh, so we see that in the same, uh, both events, Acts chapter 2. And we see that again in Acts chapter 10. It came, and these are the only two events like this that you will find in, in the book of Acts. Anywhere in the Bible or anywhere in the New Testament where the, something accompanying miracles did not come through uh, the laying on of hands of somebody. So, so it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, the next one we see the location is on. Now I've, I searched um, throughout uh, the scriptures as best as I could. Now there's a lot of scriptures to go through. But what I find is this. Uh, the word upon is epi. Right? Uh, like an epi pen. Right? It's epi. It means on. Or upon. And the word in, our English word in, comes from the Greek word en. And so I cannot find a single time where the indwelling of the Holy Spirit uses the, the, 
the pro, uh, not pronoun, the um, preposition epi. That is always a pun, and that accompanies those things whenever we see the influences of the Holy Spirit uh, referring to the, to the miracles or whatever. It will use those distinct things. And I think that is significant because it does that again with the, um, the gifts, or excuse me, not the gifts, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is its visibility? Okay. Tongues of fire? So it was visible. That's the only Okay. Was that in Acts chapter 10? I didn't I didn't say right. Okay. So in Acts chapter 10 it's it's visible through fire. Acts 10 I don't think references whether it did or not. It's not to say it didn't, but Okay. Yeah. That that that's I just I I just want to be clear on what details are actually mentioned. What is mentioned? What is the what what was the the accompanying manifestation? Speaking in tongues. Okay? And if you want to throw prophecy in there because I don't think they were, you know, like telling knock knock jokes in in the you know in tongues. So it probably was spiritual in some sense. So I would say at the most, prophecy, but tongues is mentioned in both. Yeah. There also seemed to have been accompanied by like, like physical noise and wind. Okay. You know, there was something that okay. happened prior. Yeah. So, something happened. But I, I'm talk, talking about within the realm of the, the miracles. We see a difference then... Um, we, it, it's a little different from both categories, right? So, so the baptism of the Spirit does not come with healing. There was no healings performed in either of these events. There was no uh, whatever signs, other things. It was very, very limited in the, in the way it manifested. And, of course, baptism for remission of sins, I, that comes without any of those. So, so we see... A, a little bit of separation kind of from from some of the other categories. Um, what is the timing? Be very careful. What is the timing of it as we look at uh, with relation to baptism? Okay. Where is it in Acts chapter 2? It's after baptism. The apostles were already baptized. Right, uh, they've already been baptized. They're already apostles. So, so interestingly enough, it's either before or after, but it is not at baptism. It, it's very distinct. Now, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, when we see them passed on by the apostles, it's always after baptism. Right? We look at Philip. Philip, they received it. Okay, we'll go down. We'll send the apostles back up. Right? It's it's always it's always given to people who are Christians. So, um, so I find that interesting uh, as well. In one more category, what is the du- duration of it? We talked about the duration. Like you, you get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, provided you don't do something to violate the agreement. That's with you till you die. We see the. 
the gifts of the Holy Spirit were very temporary. It was a, it was a temporary thing. What is what is this? What, how would you categorize? The baptism of the Holy Spirit was permanent. I would suggest it's temporary because when they were baptized, okay. they received the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Do, I don't see Cornelius ever doing anything again. I, I and you know I, I don't see anything. These are what's that? It's just not written. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a single use, and I want to talk about why. These aren't just random. When when God does things, he does things for a reason. Um, but before we get to that, I want to look at something. Uh, oops, here, it's uh, If you look at, kind of looking at what's similar and what's different, I'll go one more here. There's, there's some that are similar this, to one category with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's some that are similar to another. And then there's some that just stand alone. They, they, they don't really mesh with anything. These are all maybe similar in the fact that the Holy Spirit is accomplishing something. He's doing something. But he's doing different things. And he does things different ways. And for, it depends on what he's trying to accomplish. Most of our time is going to spend what he's trying to accomplish in us as people. That's the most important thing. Yes? It's interesting in Acts 10 it says it fell upon all those who heard the word. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say all those who believed. It doesn't say all those who oh. were baptized. Oh, I, I must have left my computer on. I haven't gotten into my notes. Yeah. So, um, now, those who, those who, now you said Acts 10 or Acts 2? Acts 10. Yeah, so Acts 10, those who heard, there's a reason why. It's a different situation from Acts chapter 10, but, but similar. And we're going to get to that. Uh, but I, so I want to, as I say, most of our time is going to be spent talking about what he does for us universally. That's the most significant thing. Uh, that's the permanent gift. That's, that's the one that we, that we all get. Um, universally, the promise to, to all, uh, both laterally and, and in time, it's, it's this universal promise. That is its most sign- the, the, the Holy Spirit's most significant work. Uh, but I do want to, because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is kind of complex, I want to kind of get into it and just kind of figure out a little bit why, and I'm going to, this is a theory, this is a working theory, um, but I, I want to give some things that are interesting, so let me just really quickly review. We can look at the categories and say there are things that differ. Um, the baptism comes directly with no apostles' hands, right? Uh, gifts are given through apostles' hands were very numerous. There's a long list of them in 1 Corinthians, but we only see certainly tongues and maybe prophecy um, with the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 11, um, or excuse me, in Acts chapter 2, we can discuss, it's not really here nor there, whether it's 12 or 120, but it is extremely limited, right? It's... Uh, Whoever was in that upper room. So, 
that's not something i really want to hash out here because we can have that debate till the end of time in acts chapter 10 it's cornelius households very 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 limited and and again we saw that it's after water baptism or before water baptism and what's else is interesting is that the prophecy of joel that i will pour out my spirit upon your sons and daughters is only quoted twice it is not quoted anywhere in our new testament except for with reference to these two events and paul then or excuse me peter doubly goes on that in acts chapter 11 and he's he goes back and says listen this is like the thing that happened at the beginning this is different this is a specific thing so i want to take some of those details and figure out why so cam do you want to read we're gonna we're gonna you're gonna wonder why we're talking about this but or maybe you won't if you read my notes uh matthew chapter 16 verse 15 through 19 What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but from my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Okay, so I want to go through some of the details of this. First of all, what is the rock upon which Christ would build his church? Confession. Confession. This is a play on words. You might have heard this or not, so it might not be new to you. The word Peter means a stone, uh, a little stone. Right? But it, but the word rock is is like a boulder. It's like he's so he's making a play on words with Peter's name. Contrary to some religious beliefs out there, the church was not built on Peter. Right? So uh, Christ is the the cornerstone, and the apostles are the the rest of the foundation, if you want to look at it like that, but none was given any distinction above the other in that regards. Uh, it was, it was. So, so this is a reference to covenant. Something's going on with covenant, and that's important. Um, and, and we're going to look at that in just a second. What do keys do? Open things. Open doors. Open doors. Open doors. And what are these keys going to open? Okay, what's the kingdom of heaven? The church. The church. All right, Peter is not going to be standing outside the pearly gates letting people in. <laughs> that is, that's, uh, how you say, it's above his pay grade. <laughs> Somebody else is going to be letting people in. So, um, so those details are important. Peter was going to be given, this is singular in reference to, to who was be given. He's 
all the apostles are there, but he's talking to Peter. Peter was going to be given keys to open doors um, with reference to this covenant event. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22. Uh, Diane, do you want to read that? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22. I know we're kind of skipping around. We're going to pull in some of these details, and we're probably going to end up a little bit early uh, today. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But the prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Okay. Why is prophecy a gift for believers? You all you already have to have sufficient faith to be able to believe that prophecy is right. Right. If I if I don't believe in God, then then prophecy you prophesying doesn't do me any good. It's in other words, it begins with an assumption. It begins with the assumption that that there's a God who gives these this gift. So it's. It's for those who want to hear and improve their life and, and do those things. So that so they're already beginning with this assumption that uh, that God gives this ability to give messages about your life, about what He wants you to do, about what He wants you not to do, theology, all these things that, that come from God. So that's that's why prophecy. Why are tongues a sign for unbelievers? That's important. It's important that we understand what tongues are, and I think most everybody in this room does probably, uh, understand what tongues are and what tongues aren't. All right, in fact, uh, 1 Corinthians will go on to say, uh, if, if you if someone comes in and no one understands, they'll say you're, you're crazy, right? So on the day of Pentecost, for example, there were some people that thought that the apostles were drunk. Why? Well, if you are from Persia... And you overhear, you know, an apostle or one of the 120 or whatever it is over to some other group. And they're all kind of mixed in around. And you hear this one and he's, he's speaking in Latin. You don't know. It might sound like you're drunk. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a lot happening in Acts chapter 2. There's thousands and thousands of people here. So, um, but these were real languages. And that, so... The ability to speak a language which you've never studied before. I mean, I, I lived in a in a foreign country for you know eleven years, and on the last day I was there, I was making mistakes. You know, mistakes that like a six-year-old was like, "This guy doesn't know what he's talking." Like, that's hard. It was hard work uh, to try to study that. And to try to learn that, but to have that ability just to speak without a, like, like without an accent, probably, without just like 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 you were born in it, that's a sign. And, and, and so we even see that on the day of Pentecost, we see that, you know, like this was impressive, like, you know, to to the people who didn't understand or get it, whatever. But 
But to the people in that group, they're like, this is, how do they have this ability? It caught their attention. So it's a sign then for unbelievers. Um, I'm trying to figure out where I want to go. Um, yeah, let's do it this way. Um, sometimes I look at my notes and I wonder if I should have gone in a different direct or order. Um, in Acts chapter 2, Who were the unbelievers that needed evidence? Okay. Right? What's what's happening on the day of Pentecost? What's that? Okay, it's the day of Pentecost. Jews are there. But but what's the event? What's going on? What's that? Passover. Passover. As far as the Jews are concerned, what's God doing? Okay, to do what? Open the doors to whom? To the Jews. It's a covenant event. And who's preaching the sermon? Peter's preaching the sermon. It's a very specific thing. Now, prophecy is important. Anytime God prophesies something, it's always important. Any message from the little teeny tiny message all the way up, they're important. But, but there are some events which are more significant. And this is one of those. This is when God does covenant things. It, he doesn't do it in a small way, right? But Moses going up and getting the law, that was a big event, right? Uh, when God does come to think, they're, they're huge. People stand, take notice. And there's not a lot of them. So, so here it comes the day of Pentecost. What is God doing? Think about what God is doing. And this is why it was difficult for people to get a hold of it. Well, it was, a, it was a special day. Okay. So, so you had people that wasn't just any religious holiday. I mean, people traveled long ways to get there. Yep. So the people that would go through that kind of effort are are people who, you know, who were really seeking God, who had it in their hearts sure. to be there. I think most of them, yeah. Yeah. So they, they weren't, like, non-believers, right? They're people that, right. that were inclined to be moved by God. Right. And all of a sudden you had this event where basically he was gathering his people to him. Okay. And they all and they all bore witness to what happened. Right. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people that didn't, you know. I mean, we know the ones that did. But what... To, to, to get into the door, what, do you, what has to change? I mean, repentance is obvious. Well, they were, they were cut to the heart. Okay. And they, they said, what shall we do? Okay. 
and he said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so that's the salvation aspect. They're leaving everything. Right. Now, they probably, there's things that they're leaving that they don't know they're leaving yet. But on the day of Pentecost, kosher laws are done. Now, they didn't get that memo. But when God wraps it up, he wraps it up. Right? We can't have half of the law still valid while, while Christ is resurrected from the dead. Christ died. And he said that handwriting requirements that was against us was nailed to the tree. It, the whole thing. There's not, a, there's not a shred left of it. Now, they still went on with some of the traditions and stuff because they didn't know that yet. But the temple is insignificant other than a place for Christians to meet as a place of convenience. The temple, the, the holy building is insignificant. Jerusalem is no longer the holy city. Sacrifices mean nothing. Priesthoods mean nothing. What's the purpose for a genealogy? The Messiah came. Like everything, circumcision means nothing. Everything, 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 everything means nothing. It is a big event. Right? It's not just any prophecy. It's not going to be signified by just, by just any little thing. It's going to be something special that God does. Uh, oh, so now, this is going to be interesting. So, we come to Acts chapter 10. Who are the unbelievers? Hmm? No. Look at Acts. Okay, so let's. Uh, what what happened at the beginning of the chapter in Acts chapter ten? Before before anything gets going. Yeah. Well, uh, so so. That's exactly right. Um, I don't think that's fair to say that because unbelievers, unbelievers, non-Christians, right? So, so the sign. Well, well, let's look at it. Let's look at it. We'll look at. How does Acts chapter ten open up? Okay. What is what is Peter's? Belief status. He's. I didn't. I didn't say he's not. Not. He, he's not a Christian. Right. I. It doesn't always. Right. It, it can. No. You. The majority of the time, you're right. It is used that way. But with reference to tongues, tongues is a sign for an unbeliever. In other words, tongues is a sign for somebody who doesn't believe. Means something, whatever it is that God's trying to do. So, Peter is one. Now, Peter gets a little um, tutorial before this all happens, but I don't know as though it stuck. Well, we know it didn't stick later on. Uh, he he had a little resurgence. 
but in Acts chapter 10 here, let me find it. Um, All right, so Acts chapter 10, um, verse 47. Becky, do you want to read that? Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Okay. Now, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit in dwelling. They're not Christians. They had sent the message to come get a, like, we're interested in hearing this thing. And the way that that Peter phrases this is notable. He says, can anyone prevent this? Why would you phrase it like that? Why would you say, can anyone prevent it? Okay. Traditionally speaking, yeah. Okay, can anyone forbid? Same thing. What? Or what else? Hopefully, Peter's. Peter, in, in fact, in the message, if you back up into the message, Peter starts off his message by saying, now you know how, according to our custom, I'm not even supposed to eat with you. He's still hanging on. Peter's still having difficulty with his vision. He's going to have difficulty with it in the next chapter, or at the end of this chapter. He's going to have difficulty with it in Galatians. He, he has a difficult time with this. It's like he was a believer, but he was astonished that this was happening. Yeah. So he's kind of in disbelief. Not that that shook his faith. Right. It's that, wow, this is happening. And he didn't completely understand. Right. He had an entourage around him, too. Mm -hmm. And they're not seeing the vision of the sheep. That's absolutely true. It's hard, even for whatever degree that he had this, and it took him three times to get this through his head, to, to translate that to somebody else. They're there as witnesses. And I think the, the, the way he phrases it, can anyone forbid it? He's expecting, or he's aware of, a little, you know, how long on this trip it took them. And they're like, you're going to eat with Gentiles. What are you doing? That, that came up. Because right? he start, he's like, right out. I, I wonder if that's not even in his sermon for the people there, not for Cornelius. You know I'm not supposed to be eating with it. Yeah, I know this. Can anyone hear? You, you've all seen this happen now. Can you forbid it? Knowing that the prophecy of Joel has just happened. Right? Now maybe they were Christians. But they're having a difficult time believing. Now, let's look at Acts chapter 11. And I think this is why witnesses were brought along. 
Travis, do you want to read Acts 11, verse 1 through 3? party of the circumcision. Now, if you want to talk about a people that are throughout the New Testament almost spoken of as unbelievers, the, the party of the circumcision is thoroughly criticized uh, throughout the book of Acts and, um, and referenced elsewhere as well. as Chasing Paul, pursuing him. Right there like a fringe group within Christianity. Um, and they're opposing this message, and they will. In fact, it will be some of the people from this group claiming to be Christians. Yes, Mark? I mean, at the time, they had no other way of thinking about it. Because yeah. all the people that were currently Christians were Jews to begin with. And they had no reason right. to believe that there was any other way of going about it. Right. So their view is, Yes, and that, that's, that's important. I want to come back to that. Remind me. Um, is people from this group, the party of the circumcision, that will come up to Antioch and will claim to have letters from James telling Peter he needs to withdraw from the Gentiles. And he goes along with it. He should have known better. But he's intimidated. And to the degree that even Barnabas gets caught up with it. Barnabas, the brother of consolation, the one that had taken uh, Paul under his wing himself, Earlier, the, this guy is going to get caught up in, in this segregation. Right? And so we have really another covenant event, and it's what you, you referred to. It's, it's not, I mean, the covenant is the covenant, as I said. On the, on the day Christ died and rose, the covenant is set, right? A will is, is not in force while the testator lives, he has to die. So the will is in place. It's just the memos have to be sent out. And in this event, the memos sent out. And who preaches the sermon? It's Peter, who opens the door of conversion to the Gentiles. All these things go together. There's two events. And there's these two signs that accompany it. They're, they're very important. They're special events. Every event is, is important in the Bible. But these are special. There are no more doors to be opened. In this world, you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. That's it. There's no more doors to be opened. There's, that work is done.
there was a very limited work. It was a very important work, but it was a very limited work for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit works different ways. He'll work longer term with gifts of the Holy Spirit, but still temporarily. That will be for a different reason. Those will be for, you know, building up of the church. It talks about equipping the saints, all those different things that it did to kind of incubate the church in a volatile state. But those are going to go by the wayside. But what's going to last? What, what's what's going to be forever, at least on this planet, it is going to be the spiritual work. And that's that's where we're going to end up focusing on. So any thoughts as we close? It's just a little bit over time. But, uh... Okay, you're dismissed.